you're listening to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you conversations for the health of all things. In these special episodes, I am joined by guests on the show to explore how the osteopathic concept presents in their lives and learn about their personal and professional stories. Ranging from osteopathic physicians to those familiar with osteopathic treatment to those associated with osteopathic medicine in a variety of settings, these conversations provide new perspective on lighting the way for the path to best health. Please note that while I am a physician and may interview other physicians, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Welcome back to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey here with an episode of Conversations for the Health of All Things. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Joanna Cranston. She's a general surgeon living in Tennessee who is the owner of Words of Hope Designs, where she creates art that helps to create a feeling of peace and hope in work and living spaces for her clients. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Excellent. Well, I'd love to hear more about your story. Let's go first into the practice of medicine. What brought you in that direction? Um, well, so I, I grew up with a dad who was a physician. Um, and honestly, I didn't always want to be a doctor. <laughs> I was interested in a number of other things, but I think in the back of my mind, I had, you know, my dad's voice saying, you know, you would be a good doctor. You're intelligent, but you also have a a caring heart, you know, you care about people. And so when I went to college, I, um, I was undecided at first as to a major, I had really enjoyed writing and art and languages in high school. And so, um, and I was also playing college soccer. So that was keeping me busy. But so initially, I didn't declare a major and just kind of took some classes and various things. Um, But I think what kind of drove me to eventually become pre-med was that I really wanted to do something useful with the skills God had given me and something that would really help people. (laughs) And based on what I had seen, uh, you know, my my grandparents were actually missionaries. They were career missionaries, mostly to the Philippines, but several other countries too. And then my dad, like I said, he was a neurologist. Um, and I was like, so what could possibly be more useful to society and, you know, to God really than being a missionary doctor? And so I, um, I eventually declared a biology and Spanish major. Mm-hmm. and went down the pre-med track. Um, and so that was kind of what started me in that direction. Yeah. And how did you find it once you got to medical school? Um, you know, I, I enjoy learning things in general. <laughs> like I just, I love learning. And so I think um, I, I found it really interesting. And like, I, I'm the type of person that learns best, like, sitting in a silent room by myself. So like those first two years of med school were really kind of right up my alley, <laughs> like just, you know, absorbing as much information as I could. Um, obviously it's difficult. It's like drinking from a fire hose, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I just enjoy the process of learning as much as I can about things. So in some ways oh. it was fun. 
And how about in those third and fourth years? So as you're moving toward choosing that specialty, what led you to general surgery? Yeah, so being a surgeon was kind of the last thing I wanted to do going into med school <laughs> because of just the stereotype about surgeons that they're, you know, arrogant and not very nice and, you know, kind of patronizing. And I didn't want to be like that. Um, but as I got into my rotations, I realized um, surgery was different from anything else. You actually got to go in there and use your hands and fix a problem. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, I, I mentioned that I've always enjoyed art. I really love working with my hands. Like it, it feels like a very just like essential part of who I am. And so I was like, well, the other specialties I can sit around talking to patients and giving them advice and hoping they take it. But I was just fascinated by actually being in the OR and, like I say, having that instant gratification of like fixing something with my own hands. Um, and so I, it was kind of this slow process of like, I don't want to be a surgeon, but I'm realizing that like that's the only thing that I would really be happy doing. Mm -hmm. um, and so I applied to general surgery programs. I had I joined the Army. Um, near the same time that I was applying to med schools. Um, mm -hmm. And so they have, the military has their own match. So basically once you decide what specialty you want to be in, you apply to all of the, the programs that have that. So that was kind of, once I made that decision, the road that I headed down. Mm -hmm. And talk us to a little bit of general surgery residency training. Like you said, there's all kinds of stereotypes and perhaps horror stories. How was that <laughs> five-year experience? Yeah, so it was actually six. We had a research year um, and it was, I mean, in some ways, everything you hear about, you know, it was our, I think they've done away with this now, but my program at the time, they would accept one more intern than was going to go on to the next year. So it was like a pyramid system. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you can imagine that leads to some interesting dynamics. Um, it was very, it was stressful. Um, and I think not so much just from the amount that we had to learn, um, you know, which is enormous, but like I said, I love learning new things. It was the thing that was more stressful I found was kind of the feeling that you had to fit into this mold. Um, and that became kind of the hardest thing for me because, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a unique person. <laughs> I, I recognize that. Like, I, I don't think I fit the stereotype for a surgeon. And I, I've always been more introverted, more like introspective. I'll stop and think about decisions. Whereas, you know, like what was wanted a lot of times was like act first, think second, or like always mm -hmm. confident, sometimes correct. You know, that type mm -hmm. of attitude. Um, and so that was where a lot of the, the pressure came for me of like, because even from going to from intern to second year, I was like specifically told like, you know, some of the attendings don't feel like you're very engaged or that you really want to be here. And I'm like, oh, that's funny, because like, I, I love being in the OR, like, and it, it I realized that it was just kind of my personality, the way I present myself, that was not fitting with what they were expecting. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, the training to be a surgeon is hard, but it's, it's great also. Like I loved operating. Um, but this other concept of like training to fit the mold of what these people training me thought I should look like that mm-hmm. was, that was stressful. Yeah. It makes me think of the book quiet and recognizing how much our I, society values extroversion. I love that book. Yeah. I read that on my first deployment actually. And it like Mm -hmm. blew my mind. I was like, there's other people like me. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That are also struggling to find out how they fit in this molded world. Yeah. What did you choose to investigate for your research here? Uh, it was, we did a number of projects, probably the most memorable was when I was actually helping one of my classmates with, but um, we were looking at how long uh, pneumoperitoneum is retained, like in a way that it's visible on CT. Because oftentimes for surgeons, you'll have a patient that comes into the emergency room, they get a CT, there's gas in the belly. You don't know if it's from their s- recent surgery or from a perforated viscous or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, <laughs> uh, for multiple nights in a row, we were coming in, we did this on pigs. So we had to sedate the pigs. They had undergone a, a sham laparoscopy, and then we went and took them through the CT scanner. Um, mm-hmm. so I can imagine that was quite an experience. <laughs> yeah, that's an adventure in itself. Yes. So, yes. how frequently were you deployed? Um, I I deployed twice. Um, so, general surgeons are the most deployed specialty within the army. Um, you we can't be deployed while we're still in training. Um, but basically you kind of expect to deploy immediately after you're done with your training, which I did. Um, and then I would have deployed more than that probably, except that I was pregnant for a time. And, um, but then just about a year ago was my second deployment. Mm-hmm. And so did that feel like it was bringing in your work of physician missionary, taking that abroad? Yeah. So, um, it was deployment was a, a very interesting time both times and probably not in the way that most people would think um, because for especially with kind of the pace of the war how it's slowed way down um, mm-hmm. for most surgeons for you know you could look at this as good or bad but there you go over there and you're not doing a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but, you know, a lot of these things that normally take up most of your time, you know, your regular practice, your family, all of these things have been stripped away. So on my first deployment, um, I was studying for my oral board. So that was kind of like the perfect time for that. <laughs> I, you know, I ended up training for another marathon. I listened to a ton of audiobooks. So it was, um, that was definitely a time of personal growth. The second time around, it was similar where I wasn't busy clinically um, or with, you know, army stuff, but I, I had been wanting to get started writing, writing a book for a while. And so I just kind of sat down and started writing and I was like, um, wow, like these words are just kind of like flowing out of me and this feels really natural. Um, And so that was actually part of my journey of how I ended up switching or kind of switching career paths and transitioning out of medicine and into what I'm doing now. Yeah. I love that segue. So is the book 
still in the works? Is it come to fruition? The book is still in the works. Yeah. But it was, it was just kind of a, a realization that like the things that just naturally flow out of me, um, I've kind of been suppressing and not giving any attention to for a long time because I've been so focused on training to be a surgeon, which is a noble thing, but, um, my, my creative side, you know, like this art and writing, um, and my desire to kind of share what I've learned with other people and help them in that way. Um, it had really, I had neglected that. Um, and I realized that I need to need to pay more attention to that. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious if you see the opportunities you've had in training and surgery coming into the writing or fueling that process of writing the experiences that you've had. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, you're exposed in medical training and then residency and then practice. Like, I feel like you are part of or hear so many stories, you know, like every time you see a patient, that's a new story. And then like your own experiences. Um, and I, at different times when I have like actually decided to make it a priority for a little bit, I'll take the time to like write out, write down some of the memorable stories just as a way of processing, but also just because I'm like, you know, like so much could be done with this. Like you hear some amazing things from patients, like, you know, especially like working with veterans and different things like that. But, um, and so, yeah, definitely. It's almost like I, I need to process things in that way. It helps me, but I also feel like those stories are too good to just like, <laughs> not, you know, do nothing with. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so how did you navigate that transition? So many in the practice of medicine, particularly right now, and probably particularly in military medicine are contemplating these shifts. What did you find that helped to guide you in making that choice to pause, we'll say, the clinical side and expand this creative side? Yeah. So, I mean, it was, I will say this is not something that I planned to do. (laughs) And it's not something that I necessarily like recommend for every, you know, I'm not telling people get out of clinical medicine, but um, I'll just kind of walk you through my process and why I feel like it's the right thing for me right now. Um, So like I said, when I was my most recent deployment, I was also um, searching for my next job because I was going to be separating from the military within the year. And so I was um, looking all over for my first civilian general surgeon job and talked to several places on the phone um, and kind of found this one place that I thought was going to be the best fit. Um, But the other kind of major life thing that is plays into this is that I had, I had left an abusive marriage a year before. And so I was, I'm now a mom, a single mom of three, um, three kids who are, dealing with their own traumas from all that. Um, I'm now deployed for the second time, you know, which is difficult for kids to essentially lose one parent and then have one parent be gone. Um, and so when I, when I got back from deployment, it was like, even the days that I would go into work early because I was in the OR, Mm -hmm. the kids were like struggling with that. 
it was like, I realized they just needed something, something to be consistent in their life, mm-hmm. someone to be there. Um, so that's kind of one piece that's going on. The other piece is this, like, I didn't really feel like I was burned out in medicine. I actually loved my most recent job. Like, um, I love operating. I love helping patients. But I just had this sense that somehow my, like, my truest gifts were not being fully utilized in what I was doing. So I would, I mean, I could take out someone's gallbladder and fix that problem for them. But I had... I had this like longing to kind of help people on a deeper level, you know, because you talk to patients and you can tell there's, there's more going on in their lives than just their gallbladder problem. Just they need their appendix out. They have a hernia that needs to be fixed. Um, And so it wasn't that I was like completely dissatisfied with what I was doing. I just had this sense that there was something more. Um, And so then, but in, in the meantime, I'm like, that's crazy to think that, you know, like I trained how many years to do this? Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to walk away and like go from something that has a guaranteed, you know, almost guaranteed income potential to like, what? I don't have a plan. Right. Um, (laughs) But um, as I got more into like interviewing at these different practices that I thought I might go join, I just started to think like, is this really what I want right now, like to uproot my family another time, go somewhere new, find a new nanny, like, like all these things. Um, Or is there some way that I can fulfill my actual desire, which is using my skills to help people Mm -hmm. and think outside the box of this medical practice that I'm now doing And like, what if I just think bigger for a minute, like, um, and then also include, like, use my creativity, because that's what comes so naturally to me. And so it was just kind of all these things coming together that made me go, what if I could do that? And, you know, so it was this slow process. um, And I knew that most people would not understand what I was doing and would say, like, that's crazy. Um, But in the end, like, I think we all have this idea of the path that we think our lives will take. And sometimes it's beneficial to take a look around and see where your life actually is Mm -hmm. (laughs) and see if you need to adjust what you're doing based on that. So, you know, like I had this dream of like going overseas and being a missionary doctor. I'm like, right now, my priority is my kids and my own mental health partially, which I know includes using the creative gifts I have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was, that was the foundation. I mean, I did, I was working with a coach. I've been working with a therapist. I've talked to many like trusted friends. So it's not been a decision made in a bubble. Um, and like I say, I, I would not recommend this to other people necessarily, but what I would recommend is taking an honest look at your life and your priorities and seeing if what you're doing is actually matches with what, you know, what you want out of life. Absolutely. And thank you for sharing that and for 
offering up that there is no one right way and your way is not the way for others, but you do bring up some very key points that offer an opportunity for that reflection, particularly for physicians, because we do get on this fast track and sometimes it feels slow moving, but it does definitely feel fixed, right? We know we go forward. And like you said, how would you relieve this space where we are known entity, oftentimes, maybe outside the insecurity of COVID, there's insurance that we will have a job in a space and be valued and offer this service to patients and still be able to take that moment, be brave and say, and is this what I want to be doing? I don't think right. many of us ask that question and answer it truthfully, you know, because we mm -hmm. think we just should be, especially like you said, you had a whole family history, right, of your lead into medicine. And so how has yeah. it felt to step into this more creative space? We would charge that surgery is pretty creative, right? You have to <laughs> get in there and work with what you have. But how has it felt to really open up this creative side for you? Yeah, so it has felt equal parts like exhilarating and terrifying <laughs> mm -hmm. um, because anytime you make a change, you know, there's going to be all these like neural pathways that are crying out like, what are you doing? This is different. <laughs> We've never done this before. And so you've got that. And then you've also got the fact that, you know, I... I have a bunch of training in how to be a doctor, but not a bunch of training in what I want to do. So there's going to be more learning that has to be required to do it successfully. And so there's all this doubt of like, can you really learn that? You know, is this really possible? But when I get back to why I'm doing it, and then when I'm actually in the creative work doing it, like, there's no better feeling. Like, I feel like I'm doing what I'm, I was created to do. Like I, it's energizing, you know, I'm, I, I'm like sneaking away from my kids to go work on my latest art project a little more, as opposed to like dreading going to, to do some sort of other work. So mm -hmm. equal parts, ex like exciting and scary. Yeah, I think that is the same coin, right? Just whatever side happens to flip up that day. <laughs> the excitement and nervousness around it. So tell us more about what it looks like. What does your creative work entail? So um, right now it includes selling my artwork, which is um, hand lettering based. So I, hand lettering is becoming more of a thing. So I think more people have heard of it. But for those who aren't familiar, it's basically just like fancy letters. <laughs> so like if you think of calligraphy but a little bit more free like you can um you can take some creative license with the actual letter forms um so it's it's selling artwork that's based on hand lettering um and it's mostly inspirational quotes um scripture verses things like that but with you know an artistic background to them as well um and then I have a blog as well and then I'm hoping to um expand into actually teaching other people how to hand letter um, and speaking just about my experience and um, kind of what got me into this. Because um, I guess I didn't really share that part of my story. So hand lettering specifically, when I was kind of in some of my, my hardest times that I've had to go through in life, um, it, you know, it's a combination of things at home and work environment at the time, um, I was, I was just kind of like, didn't know what to do. 
Um, and I knew that when I would start to get overwhelmed with, you know, just feelings of hopelessness, feelings of like, there's no way out of this situation, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to think clearly enough to remember some of the things that I actually knew to be true. And so what I started doing was writing them down as reminders to myself. Um, you know, some of it was song lyrics, some of it was verses, some of it was just phrases or quotes. Um, but, and, and I, I realized that the process of doing the lettering kind of helped cemented into my head. That was like a way I had always studied in med school was writing things over. And there's, there's science behind why that, why that works. But, um, and then also having these reminders in places where I would see them, I was like, oh yeah, all right, let's just take a breath and remember this. Um, and so having kind of come through the worst of that stressful situation, I was like, I bet this could be really helpful to other people too. Like mm -hmm. if you are intentional about placing these reminders of things that you want to think about in places where you'll see them, then you're kind of setting yourself up for success. So that's mm -hmm. the idea behind my art. Absolutely. And where have you found yourself able to tell that story to encourage those, like you said, that perhaps you'll teach so they can go through that practice of imprinting those words through the act of writing them and the visualization, having them in their environments to whom have you shared? Yeah, so far it's just been on a couple other podcasts um, and mm -hmm. on, you know, I've, I've blogged some about it on my, my website, but I'm really, that's one of the things that I'm hoping to start getting into more in the, in the next few months is finding like small groups um, and larger groups to, to speak to. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you mentioned early on when you were even choosing your college major, right, that writing and language interested you. So we see those seeds planted often at an early stage. And in osteopathic medicine, we look at that self-healing capacity. And it sounds like you're finding when you reconnected right to those original spaces that were just you, naturally you being you and being creative, you were able to help facilitate that healing process. Do you have any advice for those who might be in a similar space, maybe in that rough time in their lives and how they might tap into some of those internal resources? Yeah, one thing that I've been um, kind of reflecting on how useful this practice was for me is um, journaling. So I remember when I was, um, when my dad kind of recommended it to me when I was in the midst of this, and I, I, my initial thought was like, that's a waste of time. Like, I'm already so busy with other things. Like, why would I take time to write stuff down? Um, but I've gotten, I, I'm a believer in journaling now because I think <laughs> it does a number of things. It, it takes your, these thoughts that are all like floating around in your head. Um, and it, it helps you to organize them. They're, um, they're much more manageable when you have them down on paper. Um, but you also can begin to see patterns. Like if you think about medicine and science in general, we, we study everything and we look for patterns and we write down observations, right? So why wouldn't we do that about our own lives? Um, so that's what one thing I've learned about journaling, because sometimes the solutions to your problems are, are already up here in your brain um, because you've dealt with them before. Or there's little clues based on, um, you know, just little things that have worked previously. Um, and so I feel like journaling is really a great tool. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that you illustrate that because it does 
bring out another osteopathic tenant, the structure and function, right? So there's these thoughts that are just floating chaotic, and then you putting them on paper and being able to organize them and look through and see what is this pattern, what's the framework here, and how can I make this more functional? I love that. Yeah. So you're mentioning that you played Division One soccer, it sounds like, when you were in school. Oh, it wasn't Division One. It was a very small school. <laughs> college soccer. We'll go there. <laughs> Won't diminish it, but that's a significant endeavor, and we're bringing body in that way. We see the writing incorporates body and mentally as well. How do you see that incorporation of supporting body, mind, and spirit for your own optimal health? Like an example of when some of that got neglected is like for most of us during residency training, right? We're, we're like using our minds all day and night long, but we're, um, you know, I wasn't getting good rest and I wasn't able to do these other, you know, creative things um, that really nourish my spirit. Um, and so when I, like when I was on deployment or when I had had time to actually pay attention to the other things, um, I noticed what a big difference that made. Um, so I think it is important just to, sometimes we can, we can think that like our work at the hospital or studying is like the most important thing to the exclusion of other things. But without that, that balance of um, body, mind, and spirit, like you're talking about, we won't be at our best to, to mm -hmm. provide for our patients. Yeah, and that's such an important point. And oftentimes, I remember for me, kind of abandoned music for a while in medical training and then realized that actually helped me in studying, right? That act of right and left brain and coordinating the hands. Like, oh, that little bit of time, like you said, how could I even have time to journal? But we know that investing that small amount of time there can actually elevate the other work that we're doing. Uh -huh. It's important yeah. to note. And as we come to a conclusion, I'd like to first have people know where they can find you and find the work with Words of Hope Design. Yeah, so the easiest way is to go to wordsofhopedesigns.com. Mm -hmm. um, and there's links to my blog and my shop, which is on Etsy right now um, from there. And you can, there's also a link to, to reach out to me. I do commissions as well. So if you have like a certain verse or phrase that you want me to uh, design into a piece of art, I love doing that. Excellent. That's so fantastic. And we've heard lots of different ways, but I'm curious how you would say you see yourself for the health of all things in the work that you're doing. Yeah, so I think I, um, you know, I got to really enjoy helping to heal bodies <laughs> for a season. Um, mm -hmm. And now I'm kind of moving more into a space of healing minds, um, helping people to focus on the things that bring hope and that are true. Um, and in the process, um, also explore their own creativity and that, you know, because that's healing in and of itself. So, um, so yeah. I love it. Well, thank you for walking us through your journey, for sharing your experience and for putting this work art into the world. I look forward to hearing when your classes are. As I shared with you before we began, hand lettering has always fascinated me. Not one of my greatest strengths, but I think such a great practice and I'm with you all the way. Writing it out was how I've always learned <laughs> over and over again. Just write it down and program it into my brain. So I look forward to the expansion of Words of Hope. Yes, thank you.
I hope you enjoyed this episode of This Osteopathic Life, Conversations for the Health of All Things. Please take a moment to like, rate, and review the podcast. And if you would like to be featured as a guest or know someone who you'd like to nominate as a guest for an episode, please let me know at thisosteopathiclife at gmail.com. Visit the website at thisosteopathiclife.com or visit me on Instagram and Facebook at This Osteopathic Life. Thank you so much for listening.